Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, in this moment of silence and reflection, perhaps the most silent and reflective we've been all week, because even though we're staying socially distant, many of us are staying at home, still the world and our hearts and our minds race at such an incredible speed. We have millions of voices from without telling us to buy more, to be more, to do more, to achieve more, to consume more. And we've been following that path and we're exhausted. We have the voice from within that tells us that our best days are behind us. The future is uncertain and that it's certainly filled with doom or with gloom, or with sadness, or with sorrow. And so we're anxious. We come to this moment hopeful, joyful, anticipating what you might do or say in our lives. We come to this moment fearful, angry, depressed, addicted, grieving. However we find ourselves in this moment, help us to see that you know us. You see us in all our complexity and contradictions, and you love us in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. So now we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed, and this world would be renewed. Wake us up to your grace, we pray in your name. Amen. One of the reasons we started Renew Church was because we were in San Francisco. Florence and I were in the Mission District of San Francisco. We were ministering in a church that I had helped start, along with Ben Lee, who's here now, and Bettina, who I know is joining in online. Hello to you. Good morning. And we were in this church, and our San Diego friends would come join us on Sunday. You know, they'd come visit us in San Francisco. They'd stay in our guest room. They'd come to church just to be polite. And Florence and I would hear this chorus of friends over brunch, over the weeks, over the months, over the years, San Diego friends saying things like, I don't normally go to church. 
I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But I love this church. If this church existed in San Diego, I'd be a part of it. We heard other friends say things like, you know, a lot of churches talk a big game, but I'm seeing this church actually live out the sacrificial, costly vision of serving and loving our neighbors. If this church was in my neighborhood, I'd be a part of it. And finally, I said to Florence and some of my pastor friends, look, I don't know of any other pastor who has friends that aren't going to church saying things like, would you please start a church in my neighborhood so I can connect with God and with my community? That's what drove us to come here and start this very church right here, where we can be reunited with God, reconnected with one another, and redirected outward in mission to serve all our neighbors. And so it's fitting that today we go back and look at part of the pages of the earliest church, the very church, first church of the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And during this season of Easter, the season of resurrection, we've been looking at stories of resurrection and seeing how the resurrection power and hope of Jesus intersects with the very real issues and experience we have in our lives. We've been looking at the resurrection and struggles, the resurrection and loss. And today we look at the resurrection and how it bears on the complexity and the importance of community, of living together, of diversity and unity. We'll get into that. You see, Christian community is critical to knowing God and knowing yourself. The original promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis was, I will be your God and you will be my people, not just you will be my person. In other words, Christianity is inherently plural. Your faith in God is personal, but it's never private. Later, Jesus will say, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in their midst. There is something that happens in the context of coming together that you cannot replicate alone. And it is so easy for us to miss this. We live in a post-enlightenment, individualistic, consumeristic society where I want what I want, and I want it now. And so do you. And that promises freedom and self-fulfillment. But actually, if you follow that path long enough, it leads to isolation and stagnation. In other words, if you're a Christian and you have no community to which you are committed, where you are known and loved, and where you can know and love others, where you are challenged and encouraged and supported and held accountable to your own goals and hopes, you're missing out. You're missing out. Or another way to put that is, if you're a Christian and your version or path of following Jesus is listening to a podcast and that's your sermon, and you have a Spotify playlist and that's your worship music, and you hang out with people who generally think like you, believe like you, act like you, and like the same things you do, I am not saying you're not a Christian. That's not my business and not my job. I can guarantee you, your experience of following Jesus is something he would not have recognized, nor would the early church, because it always happens in the context of community. But here's the thing, is that community is messy. Community is difficult. C.S. Lewis says, it's one thing to love humanity, but it's quite another thing to love the person next to you with their own hopes and needs and demands and habits. And this is where the beauty of being refined, of being made whole, of being more your true self actually takes place. There's this part in the Old Testament in Isaiah where, uh, you know, some Christian, you know, support groups and, and social groups like to quote, 
as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens the other. It sounds beautiful until you think about how iron actually sharpens iron with heat and with friction. And it's through that that actually you become sharper and more resilient and more beautiful. And so let's look at this today. Let's look at the original compelling vision of the community. Let's look at the actual difficulty, the challenges of community together and the creative solution that the early church found and see what we can learn from that and apply. First, the original compelling, beautiful vision for a thriving community comes four chapters earlier. We're in Acts chapter 6 today. In Acts chapter 2, it describes what the community looked like when God's Holy Spirit came and dwelt among them. And it talks about people of every language and ethnicity and culture coming together in unity. A lot of Christian leadership books will talk about having an Acts 2 community. They'll say things like, we want an Acts 2 community because it describes them. It says, more people were added daily. They had all things in common. They had all languages and ethnicities. They devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and prayer. It was a big party of God's grace where everybody was invited and included. It said they would sell their belongings and distribute to each other as everyone had need. David Feisney, a historian, said, The early church had a multicultural composition. Nearly all levels of society were represented. The church seems to have been a microcosm of the city. Friends, what would Renew Church look like if it becomes more a microcosm of our city? It's already beginning to take place. I love it when we get on our Zoom community group on Wednesday night. And I see all the different faces, all the different last names, all the different cultures represented. And my, my privilege is I get to actually know your stories as the pastor, and you're sharing your stories with one another. And I'm realizing this is a group of people who probably wouldn't be coming together if God was not calling us together to grow with one another, and it's beautiful. I see it when I come here on Sunday morning as well, and it inspires me. I saw it when we as a church, especially over the summer, stood and protested and marched with our black brothers and sisters against racialized violence and for equality. I saw it a couple weeks ago when we went and stood with and lamented with and grieved with our Asian American brothers and sisters against racialized violence in our country. I see it as we welcome our Latino brothers and sisters and we get to know language and culture and perspective on this very neighborhood that may be different than your own perspective as we don't wait for people to come to us, but we go to them and we minister on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border where we have friends and ministry partners who now know us and love us just as we know and love them. It's happening. I see it at our Know Your Neighbor gatherings that Janie helps lead the last Saturday of every month where neighbors with homes and neighbors without homes come together. People who would normally walk past each other, talk past each other, avoid one another, stop and look one another in the eye and ask, how are you doing? What's your life like? What are the things you're thinking about today? And as we do that, we become more connected. The tapestry of the neighborhood changes. I saw it last October when Al and Marla joined our church as they shared their story of being homeless for 10 years. And as the church surrounded, supported, encouraged them, they were able to get housing in their place downtown. And very quickly, Members of our church pooled our resources to help furnish the house and fill the pantry to welcome them home. We are coming together in a way that brings joy and beauty. 
but it's difficult. See, people talk about wanting an Acts 2 church, but the thing is, as you read the story, as we just did, you don't get an Acts 2 church for very long before it becomes an Acts 6 church. It didn't take long until the early church faced difficulties. Here, because of subtle differences of ethnicity and and language. See, here's what was going on. Here's what I think happened. It says the Hellenists were complaining against the Hebrews because their widows were being left out of the daily distribution of food. This was a community who set out to love everybody, to include everybody, to feed everybody, and they did well for a while. And then they didn't. Do you hear what's going on here? These women are widows, and they're not eating. They're going hungry while other people have plenty to eat, and it's happening in the church. The early church was hurting people. And I want you to note, too, that Scripture is honest about that. It doesn't sweep it under the rug. It doesn't minimize it. It says, here's one of the ways we've gotten it wrong. Many of you have been hurt by the church. Many of you are frustrated or bitter because of your experience with God or with the church. And I empathize. And I apologize. But I also want to see that Scripture gives an alternate vision of a beautiful community where you can thrive and be healed. This week, a friend sent me an article about a very um, disgruntled, bitter, former Christian who's so mad at the church. And I've actually already read that article because I follow people like that because my hope is, A, I want to know what you're thinking, what you're going through, but I also hope that our church can be a place where you can heal, a place where you can come and belong and be put back together in a way that's uh, integrating your life. So here we are. In the early church, Acts 6, and these Greek Hellenist widows are being left out of the daily distribution of food. It doesn't say how or why, but you've got to imagine it was not intentional. It's not like this group of people woke up in the morning and said, how can we really love God today? Let's leave out the most vulnerable people in our church. I think it happened because of blind spots. I don't know if the, you know, the sign pointing to where the food was was in Hebrew instead of Greek, and so they just didn't know where it was. I don't know if the the supply chain networks just worked through friendship networks, and so those who weren't connected as much got left out. I don't know, but I do know that it happened. I mean, put yourself in this community, this well-intentioned community. Why do you think they were left out? And if it was because of some sort of blind spot, if it was because they were simply overlooked, it then bears the question to you and me today, who do you overlook? Who's just not on your radar? And it bears the question for us as a church, who are we missing? Who do we overlook? What are the blind spots that keep you from seeing? And you know the thing about blind spots is you can't see them and you don't know you have them. If you knew you had them, they wouldn't be blind spots. That's another reason we need each other. Because you can see my blind spots and I can see yours. And we can lovingly bring them up so we can increase our vision together as a community. We have to be constantly aware and looking. It's difficult. But I want you to see the creative solution. Here's the wise solution they came up with. They said, choose seven people of good standing, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, from among yourselves. Did you catch that? So the people in the dominant power decision-making rooms did not say, 
we're in power, we'll fix it, go and wait and take a number. Their blind spots are the ones that created the problem. Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. These people are 2,000 years ahead of Albert Einstein. Those in power gave away the power to those who had none. Luke, the author of Acts, lists out the names of these seven men. I'll read you a few. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. These are not Hebrew names. These are Greek names. He wants to make sure that you know that in order to correct their blind spots and the injustice that happened, they gave up power so that other people could have enough and be included. Does that sound like anybody else in the New Testament to you? How about Philippians 2? Jesus, who had all power and authority, did not seek power and authority as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself and poured himself out and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross so that we might become one with him. They're living a cross-shaped life. They're pouring themselves out. They're not standing on their rights and demanding more. They're saying, how can I give myself away on behalf of my neighbor? It's a totally different way of viewing the world. You see, we have the same complexity here, the same struggle, the same opportunity is presented to us right here, right now, perhaps even more. Because to set up this diverse church in Jerusalem, people had to travel in from miles and miles and miles on foot and on horse and all of that. Here in San Diego, we already live in an international city. We live 16 miles from an international border, the busiest border crossing in the world. You can walk around this neighborhood and hear several different languages being spoken this afternoon on your way to brunch. Whatever your neighborhood is, I believe that whatever your viewpoint, your perspective, whatever your experience is, someone on your street or in your building has the very opposite. Whether it's talking about politics or your favorite restaurant, whether you're wealthy or poor. And Renew Church exists to welcome all of you and all of your friends, and all of your neighbors. That is easy to say and hard to do, but it is possible. You know, it wouldn't surprise anybody in San Diego these days to learn that there's a church in North Park where everybody's a Democrat and they all vote the same way. They go, yeah, I get that. Or that everybody's a Republican and they vote the same way and they go, yeah, I get that. But a church where people have completely different political views from one another and still come together in charity and grace and truth makes the watching world go, hold on, wait, that's a little different. Because normally, we know how we deal with our differences. We separate ourselves from one another, we ostracize one another, we scapegoat one another, we throw stones at one another on Facebook. That's what we do. But you guys can have a disagreement and come back the next day and say, you know what, I love you, I respect you, I totally disagree with you, and I'm going to continue walking with you. That's iron sharpening iron. That's becoming a more whole integrated, alive human being. So how do you do that? How do you intentionally seek out the other, the person who's different from you? Or is your social circle a group of people just like you? I'd suggest that if your social circle is people who are by and large just like you, they make the same amount of money you do, they have the same political views that you do. They even have the same faith views that you do. I'm saying you should have friends that are Christians. Yes, of course. And you should have friends of all different sorts of faith backgrounds as well. If you're hanging out with people just like yourself, you are missing out 
on the richness of the kingdom of God. And so let this church be a place that is not only inspiring you to be redirected outward, but is equipping you to do that as well. I don't know what the next few months or the next year is going to look like with COVID reopening, but I do know that things are going to start opening more and more. We're not going to do anything rash or to put anybody in danger, but as people are vaccinated, I just got mine on Friday, as we're vaccinated and able to move out, we're going to have more and more opportunities to do this in person. So get yourself ready mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and let this church be the place where you get sent out because the church is both a hospital for healing people that need to be healed, that are sick, that are hurting. You are most welcome here. And it's a launch pad. It's a launch pad for mission out into this world. That's part of the reason why our church does not have a bunch of churchy things on the calendar, Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday, so you're always in church. We do want you in scripture. We do want you praying on Wednesdays in our group. We do want you uh, making connections and asking your questions at, at community group on Wednesday night. We want you to be filled up and fed and nourished. But there's another 164 hours in the week, and we want you sent out and living these things out. That was Jesus' method of discipleship, by the way. Jesus' method of discipleship, the process of becoming more and more like him, was not simply the, the attainment of more data. He would certainly give a lot of teaching. He taught in a way that nobody else taught. But when he really wanted to develop people, he would send them out two by two into the towns and countrysides where he would go to do the very things that he had taught. And then he'd gather them back together and say, what'd you learn? What'd you see? He'd debrief them, and then he'd teach them again, and he'd send them back out. And so discipleship, becoming like Jesus, is actually a verb. It's an action. It's movement. This is the calling of the global church. This is the calling of this church, of Renew. Is it difficult? Yes. Does it take creativity and patience and perseverance and forgiveness and understanding? Yes. Will there be a need for learning? Yes. But that's where we grow. And when we do this, it's a sign to the watching world that God is present and active and doing something in our midst. Don't take my word for it. Jesus himself, in John chapter 17, praying to the Father, says, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, may they, may we be one, so that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus and loves us. It's a sign to the watching world. Think about it. In a nation that is politically polarized, that is violent along racial lines, with social media patterns that are tilted towards scapegoating and ostracizing and demonizing and separating ourselves from one another, in a world that is fractured and fragmented, the church offers this gift to the world of what it looks like to be unified amidst all of our differences. The church offers a gift to the world, and it's attractive. It was attractive then. I want you to see the result of this. In uh, final verse, uh, verse 7, says, the number of followers increased greatly. So up to that point, Acts 2 church, the numbers increased daily. Now the numbers increase greatly because people are saying you actually have something to offer society i bet you people started saying we're not sure if we believe like you believe yet but we are glad you're here because you're showing us a different way forward but it doesn't stop there 
And a great many priests became obedient to the faith on that day. Now, this is the first time that's recorded where the priests, the temple establishment, the leaders, the system designers looked at this going on and said, there's something worth giving up my career for. There's something worth giving up my power for. This is a new way forward as society. Furthermore, the priests would have remembered, they would have it, you know, I don't know if they had tattoos. If they did, it would have been tattooed. The original promise to Abraham, I will bless you through you, all nations will be blessed. They had this picture of all the people coming together in God, but the reality that they lived in and upheld was that the temple, the place where heaven and earth were believed to overlap and interlock, had different courtyards with walls, so that if you were a Hellenist, you'd have to stay further out. If you're, you know, if you're Hebrew, you can come closer. If you're a woman, you have to stay further out. If you're a man, you can come closer. And then the Apostle Paul will reflect on what Jesus did in his resurrection to that system, and he said he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. There is no longer Greek and Hebrew. There is no longer slave and free. There is no longer male and female, for we are all one in Christ. Now, of course, you still have your ethnicity and your nationality, but that's no longer your primary tribe. When I baptize somebody here, I ask them their name. They tell me their full name. When I baptize them, I say, you are baptized Matt. It's not because I forgot his last name. It's because when you become a Christian, you're baptized into a new family, and you get a new last name. You're a Christian. You belong to the family of God. When you're adopted into the family of God, you are now brought into a family where you have brothers and sisters you would have never chosen if it was up to you. And that's part of God's gift to you, to grow you and to develop you. It's also a part of God's gift to the world. People who don't normally belong together, gathering together around Christ for the sake of those who don't yet belong. People who don't normally belong together, gathering together around Christ for the sake of those who don't yet belong. And so how do you intentionally work for unity here? This week? In this neighborhood or in the city? With all the national violence, injustice, issues that are swirling around? Instead of just adding more heat to the fire, what might be your part of adding light? Instead of fueling hatred, what might be your part of just giving a nudge toward reconciliation and toward peace? And let me finish with this. Don't try this without the gospel. If you try this without the gospel, you will be exhausted and run over by sundown today. Remember that God always loves us first, and we reflect that love out into this world. As Jesus welcomes you, you welcome one another. As Jesus forgives you, you forgive one another. As Jesus gives himself for you, we give ourselves for one another. And as we do, the world is renewed, and you're transformed. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful, compelling vision of thriving in community. Thank you for the honesty and authenticity that the Bible gives us, that this is a beautiful vision, and it is difficult, hard work. Oftentimes, we'll be two steps forward and one step backward. But you're at work in the midst of it. 
And oh, how we need it today. We need it in our world, in our country, in our city. We need it in our own personal lives and friendships and relationships. So Lord, as you love us, help us to love one another. As you forgive us, help us to forgive one another. As you welcome us, help us to welcome one another. And may this be a sign in a hurting and broken world of your resurrection power and presence. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you.